If you would, I, I wanted to say children's church, you are dismissed, but we already dismissed them. Listen, if you got your Bible, turn with me to the book of Ephesians in the New Testament, the book of Ephesians. And we're going to be in chapter number two this morning, Ephesians chapter number two. And uh, we're continuing our series, you know, I called it rebellion, this idea that we have to rebel against the way that the world and culture and wants us to be, the pressure they put on us uh, to conform to the image of the world. And week one in Ephesians, we were talking about our identity. How, as believers, our identity is found in Christ, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And we talked about everything that went into that. Last week, we talked about our capacity, not our identity, but our capacity. The fact that uh, everything that God has poured in us, our spiritual inheritance. And we talked about many of those things. And this morning, if you're a believer, really what we're talking about, I've called this the sinfulness of sin, but we're talking about your security, your security. One of the things that scares me to death as a pastor and ministering to people is simply that many people claim the name of Christ and they aren't saved. They're not really. I mean, you can kind of tell by their actions and their heart and then the way they live their lives in these different things. And, and, and so the fear is, is that people who claim the name of Christ, maybe, you know, there aren't, they aren't really saved. And so today we're going to look at how we can get out of the graveyard of sin and move forward in our relationship with Christ. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter two and go ahead and look at it with me in verse number one, Ephesians chapter two, verse number one. It says, and you, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. So we're in the graveyard of sin. How do we get out? Now, before we get to that, I want us to see who we were before we knew Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. I hope you got your bulletin. Take some notes this morning. Write this down. The first thing is before Christ, spiritually dead. We were absolutely spiritually dead. It says that we were dead in our transgressions and our sins. The Bible tells us in Romans 6, 23, it says for the wages of sin is what? Death. Say it one more time. Yeah, I know. The unbeliever is not sick. They're dead. They don't need to be resuscitated. They need a resurrection. And so I know that kind of sounds morbid, but when we leave these doors today, and as we look around at the world, so many people who don't know Jesus, I mean, you're living among the walking dead. That's what the Word of God tells us. Now, they're not only spiritually dead, but number two, circle this in your notes, they're also spiritually disobedient. If you're spiritually dead, you can't be obedient to the will of God. When Adam and Eve died, they experienced uh, spiritual death immediately, physical death eventually, right? And there's actually, and this may be familiar for some of you, but I wanted to share this. There's actually three enemies that you have in this life that is trying to keep you away from God and being conformed to the image of Christ. These three forces, the first one is, write this down, is the world. Again, we've talked about this. I'm not going to spend any time on it, but the, the forces of the world and just our culture and society, they want you to be everything else but what Christ has called you to be. Romans 12, verse number two says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So you got the world going against you. The next one, write this down. You know what it is. What is it? The devil. The devil, Ephesians 2, 2 says, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. 
The devil is operating in the life of every unbeliever and the devil is trying, attempting to influence every believer. Every believer. He's trying to get you to do anything else but what Christ wants to do. And the last one, write this down, is the flesh. You are your own worst enemy. You have a sin nature. You're a sinner by choice and you're a sinner by nature. Now listen, a dog acts like a dog. Why? Because he's a dog. A dog acts like a dog because he's a dog. A cat acts like a cat because a cat's full of the devil. Amen? Amen? I mean, that's just a cat. Any cat lovers here? Oh, you're going to be uncomfortable. Amen. Nah, I'm just kidding. Listen, a sinner, a sinner acts like a sinner. <laughs> I'm, okay, I'm filtering out all the cat jokes, right? Oh. Okay. Anyway, so a sinner acts like a sinner because they're a sinner. We shouldn't be surprised. What's surprising is when someone who claims the name of Christ is living in a very sinful situation. That gets a little bit more confusion. But the nature of a sinner is to sin. The nature of a dog is to be a dog. The nature of a cat is what we said. And so this person is spiritually dead and they're spiritually disobedient. And they've got the world, the devil, and the flesh working against them. And it doesn't get better. So this person is spiritually uh, dead. They're spiritually disobedient. And look at this next one. Number three, they are doomed. And I, that's the worst word I could think of to put in there that started with a D, to be honest with you. But listen, absolutely doomed. I mean, it's, it's bad. Without Christ, you have no hope at all, says he's doomed. See, but here's the thing. What do we call the gospel? The gospel is what? The good the good news. And for the gospel to be good news, first you've got to understand the bad news. And the bad news is, apart from Christ, you're spiritually dead, spiritually disobedient, and absolutely doomed. You have no hope apart from Christ. But we thank God for the good news. The bad news is what makes the good news absolutely wonderful and amazing. As a matter of fact, in your Bible, look at Ephesians 2, 4. Paul here, he shifts to talking about the love of God. This is what we need. He says, but God. In other words, bad news. You're spiritually disobedient. You're spiritually dead. You're absolutely doomed. But God. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Love is one of God's intrinsic uh, attributes. When this love is related to sinners, it comes out in two ways. Mercy and grace. Look at this next slide. What is mercy and grace? Mercy is when he doesn't give us what we deserve. Condemnation, judgment, punishment for our sins. Grace is when he gives us uh, what we do not deserve. His love, his forgiveness, all of those things. So, how? okay, we're spiritually disobedient. We're spiritually dead. We're absolutely doomed. So how do I have a right relationship with God where these things aren't true for me? How, how can I be saved? Number one, write this down. First of all, you need to understand that it's by grace. You are saved by grace. All of this was made possible because of Christ's death on the cross for us. Paul says here in verse number five, he says, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, with Christ by grace, you have been saved. It's all by grace. Now look at me first. I know it's a lot of doom and gloom so far, right? But before we move on to this next thing, everybody look at me for a second. I know you're busy writing notes down. I appreciate that. All these wonderful theological things that I'm saying. But listen, I, I, I need to be serious with you for a moment. What I'm about to show you, beyond a shadow of a doubt, 100% will be the cutest dog you've ever seen. Amen. Look at this picture right here. Miracle. Say, oh, come on, my dog. I wouldn't put my kids' pictures up there, but they would kill me. Amen? 
It's all I've got is that dog. That dog's show enough cuter than yours, isn't she? I mean, for real. And you cat people, she would eat them alive. Amen? Eat them alive. That's our dog, Merrick. I'll, I'll kid aside. I'm sure. I had three sweet senior saint ladies show me pictures of their dogs between the services, okay? They're like, your dog's cute, but look at this. And I'm like, second best. And so, but miracle. That's, that's our English setter. She's wonderful. I know she looks perfect, but she isn't. Okay, so sometimes, here's something that happens. Like, maybe if we get pizza or something like that, and maybe we leave the pizza, maybe the, one of the kids didn't uh, shut the pizza box, and maybe the pizza box is left open a little too close to the edge, and then I walk into the kitchen, and there's Miracle with her front two paws on the counter about to go to town on some Domino's pizza. You know what I'm saying? You ever have your dog get into something they're not supposed to get into? And, uh, I mean, it, it's bad when a dog's as pretty as that, but your ugly dog, it must have been terrible. And so, I'm kidding. Y'all know I'm kidding, right? The new people, our visitors here are never coming back. My dog's cute, that stupid preacher, and I love cats. Listen, <laughs> never coming back. But listen, so Miracle, you, I walk in, and she's got her two paws, and she's about to go to town on some dominoes. Now, what she deserves, see, in Marcus's bedroom, she sleeps with Marcus. She'll climb up in the bed and sleep with him half the night. But we've got this crate, you know, one of them crates, pin things. When we first got her as a puppy, often she would sleep in there to keep her from, you know, making a mess all over the house. This is big thing. And she still likes it. Sometimes she'll just go in there on her own and sleep or whatever. But when she gets in trouble, I didn't know this was a thing. She goes into doggy timeout. Amen. My kids have never been in timeout, but my dog's been about a hundred times. Amen. And so, I, miracle. No bad dog. Get in your brain. What do you think you're doing? Shut. And she's in doggy timeout. Right? And so that's what she deserves. But if I was going to demonstrate mercy to Miracle, and I walk in, pause up, Domino's about to go down her throat, mercy would simply be this. It'd be like, Miracle, quit bad dog. Just quit it. Bad dog. Stop. Right? I don't take her and put her in her crate. I just, I just get on to her. Da, da, da. Right? Grace would be, and this has never happened, grace would be if I walk in, pause on top, right? Domino's about to go down, and I see Miracle, and I'm like, Miracle! You want a Coke? <laughs> uh, you want some ice cream? What do you want? Let me just open up the refrigerator. You go to town, Miracle, because you're just that wonderful. That's, now that's not exactly a perfect illustration. That's like the grace of God in our life. The unmerited favor of God beyond anything that we could ever imagine. That while we were still sinners, that Christ died for us. And he gives us his grace. His love is so overwhelming, so big, so huge. It's like giving a dog ice cream for eating pizza. And it's hard for us to wrap our minds around, but that's how great and radical God's grace really is. Jesus raised three people from the dead. He raised um, the widow's son, Jairus' daughter, and of course, Lazarus. And every, res every physical resurrection is the picture of the spiritual resurrection that we need. And the Bible teaches us that we're alive in Christ. Look at this verse, verse number six in your Bible, Ephesians 2 and verse 6. It says, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We talked about that last week. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Say, so you're not raised from the dead. God did not raise you from the dead and leave you in the graveyard. It, spiritually speaking, our spiritual inheritance, we talked about it last week. We've got the down payment now. But it's as if when Christ was exalted at the right hand of the Father, it's as if you were too. 
and that you're going to get to see the, the exceeding riches of his grace for all of eternity. You're perfectly identified with Christ in every single way. You may physically be here, but spiritually you're in heavenly places with Christ Jesus as if you're already there. God's purpose for our redemption wasn't just to rescue us from hell. He's, he's given us this mercy and this love and this grace, and he's going to be glorified by his grace forever and ever. So we do it how? Well, we're saved by grace. Number two, write this down. How? You know, through faith. Through faith. Again, look at verse number eight. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Now that last part there, not of works, lest anyone should boast. I mean, I, I mentioned this in the early service. Could you imagine going to heaven based on good works? Number one, most of us wouldn't make it. I say most because, well, miracle would probably, she'd go. There, would be, there are no cats in heaven, don't ask. But wouldn't it be something, people strutting around heaven because they were so good they got there? And then, like, they were better than you, and so, you know, I mean, heaven would be segregated. There would be the really, really good people, then just the, the really good people, and the kind of good people, and then the rest of us, Right? But heaven's not like that. It clearly says, not of works, lest anyone should boast. But the good news is, look at this next slide. Since we're not saved by our good works, then we can't be lost by our bad works. We're not saved by our good works, but the good news is, we can't be lost by our bad works. Grace means salvation is completely apart from any merit of mine. But that doesn't mean that God's not done. He didn't resurrect us to leave us in the graveyard. His purpose for this life is to make you more like Christ. We talked about that. That's that big theological word, sanctification. That as a believer, the longer you walk with Christ, the longer you're in Christ, the more like Christ you should become. And there's a few tools that God uses to accomplish that. And you're familiar with these. The first one, look at this next slide. God uses the word of God as you get into the word, you meditate the word, you get in the word and the word gets into you. That sanctification, God will begin to conform you to the image of his son. Look at this next one. The next one is through prayer. As you commune with your holy God, as your God communicates with you, you communicate with him and you draw closer in that relationship. God will use that to make you more like Christ. But this next one is probably not as familiar to you as these first two. The other thing that God would use to make you more like Christ, look at this next slide, is suffering. It's suffering. You know those verses that talks about that God is going to make everything good, right? That God can bring good out of every bad situation. God is even going to use your suffering. What happens is this. As we suffer, God is going to minister to our hearts. And he's going to bring us back to his word. He's going to bring us back to prayer. He's going to bring us back into a close, intimate with him. See, look at this next slide. God has to work in us before he can work through us. God has to do big things in us before he can ever do anything uh, through us, outside of us. And often what happens is when everything's good and everything's perf perfect and everything's healthy and everybody's healthy, wealthy and all that stuff and everything's going good. Let's be honest, church. Often we forget about God, don't we? Because everything is going so good and everything is going so smooth and, and no cares and no worries. And then all of a sudden, boom, it happens. Whatever it is, and you're snapped back to reality and you realize, man, I am far from God. You go to call on God's name and, and he hears, but it feels so distant. You realize in that moment that I, God, I need you right now. Lord, and first thing you pray, Lord, I know that I have, listen, I know I haven't talked to you in a long time, right? 
Often your suffering will bring you back to Christ and cause you to have a deeper, stronger relationship with him. Think about Moses. Moses had to spend 40 years on the backside of nowhere being a nobody before God used him in any way at all. Think about Joseph. Remember Joseph from the Old Testament? God had to have him in a prison for 13 years way before he ever made it to the palace. The Apostle Paul who wrote this letter that we're reading, the, the book of Ephesians. The Apostle Paul, after he was converted and saved, he spent three years on the backside of Arabia with God ministering to him before he could minister to anybody else. God has to work in us before he can ever do really anything through us. But we're saved by faith, I mean by, by grace, through faith. Number three, write this down. Four good works. For now in our Baptist tradition, often good works is a word we just don't like to say. We don't like to bring it up. We don't want to confuse anybody talking about good works. But look at verse number 10. It says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Why, church? Try it again. One, two, three. For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're not saved by faith plus works, but by faith that works. And it's sad to see how we minimize the place of good works in the Christian life. We're just, it's like we're afraid of it because we know we're saved by grace through faith. And then we're afraid to talk about works because we know works don't save us. But good works are part of the Christian life. Now often, I've been asked this before, Pastor, how do I know if what I'm doing is a good work? Right? We talk about good works all the time. What do we mean when we say a good work? I've got a working definition for you. Look at this next slide. We perform these good works when it's to glorify God, not ourselves. To make his name famous and not ours. That's a good sign that you're on the right path to good works. When it's about him and his glory and not you and your glory. I mean, I really question how many people could go on mission trips if they couldn't take selfies. And we're all guilty of that. We're all guilty of that. See, spiritual life in America has turned into a giant like drive-through. Have you been to a drive-through lately? Right? One of the best things that ever happened, me and Shane Barnes, amen. That one of the things, uh, best things that ever happened in my life is when the McDonald's menu, they started doing breakfast all day. It just changed my life. McGriddle at midnight, I'm happy, amen. And so, but listen, when you go to a drive-through, right, you know, you pull up and they're, and then you, like you have all those options, right? You have all that to choose from. You can choose anything you want. That's what it's like in America in 2020 with spirituality, right? And people take things that, I mean, a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and this is okay, and that's okay. And we put this monster of a theology together that's ugly and it's found nowhere but in our own imagination. Right? And then we just kind of pick these things as if they're real. In 2020, if you say there's only one gospel, it sounds intolerant, judgmental, narrow-minded. I, I used to love Dr. Adrian Rogers. He would talk about being narrow-minded. And he said, listen, when you, when you go to the doctor, you want him to be narrow-minded. Right? When you go to the pharmacy to fulfill a prescription, you want that pharmacist to be narrow-minded. You don't want him just to go, well, here him some blue pills today just because right i don't care what his prescription is let me give you let me give him some of these yellow ones no you want what the doctor prescribed right you want him to be narrow-minded if you get on an airplane you want the pilot to be what narrow-minded because wherever you're flying to you want to get there 
And so we, we accept being narrow-minded in every area of life, except the most important one, which has to do with our eternal destiny. For some reason, when it comes to the most important thing in life, we, we are narrow-minded in every area of life, except in the one area that truly matters. That truly matters. Some people are so open-minded, their brains have fallen out. But think about this for just a moment. It's true, you've met them. Think about it for just a moment. You get thirsty. Right? God has given you this desire for water. You get thirsty and so you drink. If God haven't get, didn't give you the desire to drink, if he didn't put that thirst in you, you would never drink. You would never be sitting there on your own and like, I need four ounces of water to survive. Right? You wouldn't do that. You would just dehydrate and die because the sensation for, for uh, liquid would never hit you. In the same way that God has placed a desire for thirst in your life, God has placed a desire for him in your life. And just like when you get thirsty, you're going to have to choose, right? Am I going to drink some water? I'm going to drink some Gatorade. I'm going to drink a Coke. Whatever it is, you have a choice to make to try to meet that thirst. But we know some things never really quench the thirst. Same thing is true with God. He gives you that thirst for him. And you choose what you're going to drink when he gives you that thirst. But he's the only one that can actually satisfy that thirst that he's given you. Christ is the only one that can ever satisfy the thirst of our souls. Now, I put in my notes, and, I've got, and you've probably seen this before. I've seen it around. And I put in my notes that there's three kinds of religions in the world. I changed my mind. There's only two. There's only two. Look at this next slide right here. The first one is about do. Right? Do. Do this. Don't do that. Do this. Right? Titus 3 verse 5 says, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Now that's one side of the coin of this religion. It's like do, 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 do this. If you flip that coin over, look at this next slide. It's don't. Don't do this. Don't do that. You know, everything is okay. You're fine. You know, just, and maybe if you do the right things, if you do enough of the right things, you don't do any of the bad things, then maybe when you die, just maybe when you clock out, God is going to save you. He'll accept you. Maybe. But none of those are right. The only true religion that will save your soul, that will quench that thirst, look at this next slide, is the one that says, done. Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. Now, why do I say there's only two religions? You can go all the way back to the very first uh, book in the Bible, the book of Genesis, right? The book of Genesis. You had Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel. Do you remember this story? And Abel brought a, a sacrifice from his flock, from his herd, a spotless sacrifice and, uh, to present before God. But Cain, he brought something from the garden. He brought some fruits and some veg. This should tell some of you vegetarians something right here. Amen. And so Cain, he brought uh, the, the, the vegetables and all that, and he made a sacrifice to God. God did not accept Cain's sacrifice. Because it was based off his work, his sweat, and all of that. But he accepted Abel's sacrifice. Why? It's always been about the blood. Forgiveness of sins. All the way from the beginning of Genesis, all the way to the close of the book of Revelation. It's always about the blood. Somebody has to pay. There is always an innocent third party that has to shed their blood for the forgiveness of sins. And all the way back to uh, Cain and Abel, Abel's sacrifice was pointing to a cross, a cruel Roman cross, where Jesus is going to be sacrificed one day. And the truth is this, either Jesus was sacrificed for your sins or you will be forever and ever and ever. So you get to choose. Do I want to do religion or don't religion? They don't work. The only one that does work is the done kind of religion, the finished work on Calvary. Now, what happens if I don't? Though? 
What happens if I kind of somehow think I can do this on my own? Now you're going to face, again, this is a Debbie Downer, you're going to face the wrath of God. The wrath of God. Look at verse number three in your Bible. It says, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. That's who we were before trusting Christ. Now what is the wrath of God? Look at this next slide. I call it the law of inevitable consequences. What I'm, the law of inevitable consequences. The fact, do you agree with me this morning that what you do has consequences? Right, for instance, if I were to decide to take off running and I'm going to run into that wall, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt and it's going to hurt bad. Why? The law of inevitable consequences says if I run into that wall, it's going to hurt. It's a fact. No matter, it doesn't matter how I feel about it. It's going to hurt. And so the wrath of God, the law of inevitable consequences, the wrath of God is there to show me don't run into the wall. Hey, dummy, don't run into the wall. Right. It's going to hurt. Everybody here believes in the law of inevitable consequences, because if you if you didn't, you wouldn't be alive right now. I mean, we know that inevitable consequences. I know if I step in front of this car, it's going to hurt. Right. If I step in front of an electric car, it's going to hurt the car. Amen. But but listen. The law of inevitable consequence is the same thing as the wrath of God. We all accept the law of inevitable consequences in the physical world. But for some reason, when it comes to morality and spirituality, when it comes to the spiritual world, we don't like to believe in the law of inevitable consequences, even though we live our entire life based on the law of inevitable consequences. We struggle with it. I mean, you would never say this. Okay, well, I hope you wouldn't say this. You'd never say, man, it's so unfair. I can't believe that I can't run into that wall without it hurting. How could I ever trust a loving God who would not want me to run through that wall? How could I trust a loving God who says that if I hit that wall, it's going to hurt? How could I ever trust a God like that? Nobody would say that in the physical realm. But many times by our actions and even by our words, we say that when it comes to morality and spirituality. Right? We say, it's not fair. Why can't I run off with my neighbor's wife? Why would God judge me for that? Why wouldn't God want me to be with the woman I love? That's not fair. I can't serve a God who would judge me. Listen, it's the law of inevitable consequences. Why can't I tell a lie? Why can't I cheat? Why shouldn't I steal? I mean, why should I experience bad results as a consequence of my actions? I can never serve a God who says there's going to be bad results for anything that I do. Yet we live our life by that same law. I don't step in front of the car. It's going to hurt. I don't run into the wall. It's going to hurt. The law of inevitable consequences. And God in his word promises you that if you die without him and you live in your life of lying, stealing, thieving, cheating, whatever the case is, that he is going to judge you for your sin. He's going to judge you righteously based off the law of inevitable consequences. And you will be found guilty. And just as sure as the sun came up this morning, you're going to spend eternity in a place called hell it's as inevitable as if, if i hit that wall it hurts and it's just as real but for some reason we try to make a difference we try to convince ourselves look at this next slide we struggle to believe in the sinfulness of sin sure i i can't run into that wall without it hurting me but surely i can run into another woman's bed surely i can steal from my company 
Surely I can reject the grace of God and think that I've got what it takes without consequences. And God's word says, no, that's not how it works. And it's really tempting. I'll just be honest with you guys. It's tempting to tone it down and to make it a little bit more palatable, a little, make it nice. And we think we're being kind when we kind of soften it a little bit, but we're not. We're being cruel. It's difficult to believe that we're dead in sins without Christ, but we are. Look at verse number one again. It says, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. And that word uh, trespasses, it's like a misstep. You can think of it like that, like your sins. Like sometimes you sin on purpose, right? Right? I mean, sometimes you, you know, I'm doing this. I know it's wrong, but I'm doing it anyway, right? For whatever reason, you sin on purpose. Sometimes you sin on accident. You're such a big old sinner and you're used to sinning all the time. This is all of us. You're used to sinning so much. Sometimes you do something. You're like, why did I do that? Have you ever, I'm, me, me, me. Have you ever accidentally told a lie? Come on, church. I mean, why did I lie about that? You know what I'm saying? Like, why did I? They're like, hey, man, uh, you know, so and so, so, and you'd be like, no. And then you walk away, you're like, yeah, yes. I did. Why did I say that? Because you're a sinner by nature. Right? And so sometimes it comes out, trespasses and sins. Sometimes, though, your intentions are right, your actions are wrong. And God has given us these basic desires, and there's nothing wrong with the desires. But we know that if we fulfill them the wrong way, there's something wrong with them. I mean, when it comes to eating, eating too much is bad. Eating too little is bad. When it comes to sleep, it's a gift of God. I'm going to give me a nap in this afternoon if the Lord will let me. Sleep is a gift from God, but too much of it, you're sinning. Right? Sex is great, but if we do it in the wrong way, you see where it takes us. The wrath of God is designed, the inevitable consequences are designed to show you and help you realize that you're violating God's basics, uh, his basic design for your life and that he's got something better for you. Recognize, again, we're saved how? We're saved by grace, through faith, for good works. Imagine this. It's like if I took this chair right here and I told you I believe in this chair. I believe in that chair. It's a chair. Looks like a good chair. Looks like a sturdy chair. And then, you know, Marcus, you believe in this chair? Yes, I believe in this chair. And then you're like, well, sit on it. And I'm like, nope. Why not? Do you believe that it'll hold you? Yes. Do you believe it's a good chair? Yes. Well, do you think it'll hold you? Yes. Well, sit on it. Nope. Now, let's be honest. Would I, do I really believe in this chair if I won't sit on it? See, that's the difference between believing in Christ and believing on Christ. See, you can, you can be here this morning. That's what scares me when I opened up with I'm worried about some people who claim the name of Christ that haven't ever been saved. Because you can believe in Christ. What I mean is you can intellectually, I believe in God, you know, God. And I believe in Jesus, Jesus, you know. And he was a man, he did some good things. And, and he saves people and, you know, and all that. But I think I'm a good person. And, and we kind of, we create this idea of God that's not found in Scripture. We say we believe in God. We believe in Jesus. The difference is I believe in this chair. I believe this chair can hold me. The difference is when I sit on it, right? Now I believe on the chair. Some of you are only believing in Jesus. In other words, you've never really trusted him. You've just kind of mentally kind of checked in. You kind of feel like, yeah, whatever. You've never truly repented of your sin and trusted Christ. You've never called out for forgiveness. You've never really thought that you were that bad. And you've made promises to yourself and you made promises to God, but you've never trusted on his son. I mean, again, you believe in, but you don't have faith on Christ Jesus. There's a big difference. And we talked about it last week, right? I can believe in God, mental, but when I put my faith on Christ Jesus, that's a heart issue. 
And so just a few inches, but it makes all the difference in the world. Some of you need to stop believing in Jesus and start believing on Jesus. That's faith. And again, let's look at works one more time. Go down to verse number 10. I want to talk about this. He says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Works aren't the price for your salvation. It's the proof of your salvation. Look at this next slide. Good works don't produce salvation. Salvation produces good works. Once you establish a relationship with Christ, he's not done. So many people get saved and that's it. 50 years later, they haven't grown. They haven't, I mean, just nothing has really changed. They're still a babe in Christ. He's just starting with you. And he's got a plan for you and good works that he's prepared beforehand for you to walk into. He's got good works. We're saved by faith, by grace, through faith, for good works. The world says this, hey man, you got to get to work and make something of yourself. Christ says, I've got to make something out of you from the inside before you can make something out of yourself. And it's all by grace. Let's look at this verse one more time. Bring that verse eight up. Let's say this together on the count of three. We're going to close. You ready? Y'all didn't do real good last time. All right, one, two, three. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Do you believe it? And have you put your faith on it? Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word. These amazing passages of scripture that you've given us. Lord, we're so grateful for the salvation that you freely offer. God, we see what, uh, who we were before we knew you. And God, we see glimpses of who we can be while we walk and live this life with you. Lord, I just pray that you would change us from the inside out and help us to always be in obedience to you and your will. Listen, guys, every head bowed, every eye closed. For just a moment, don't, no looking around. Pray for your neighbors. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Maybe you're here this morning and you recognize this message is for you, man, that you need to be saved by grace through faith for good works, that you need to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've never gotten to that point. I mean, you believed in, you've got some head knowledge, right? I believe if somebody asked you, you'd be like, yeah, I'm a Christian. But in your heart, in your heart where it counts, you know that you don't have it. You don't have that forgiveness. You don't have that peace of God. You don't have the grace of God active and moving in your life. You can have it right now. You can be forgiven of every sin that you've ever done. Every wrong that you've ever done. Everything that you can even imagine that you've ever done. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There's nothing that you did. There's nothing that you have done that could separate you from the love of God. The only thing that could separate you from the love of God is saying no to Jesus right now. Why don't you put his yes with your yes and give your heart to Christ this morning? Is that you right now? You know that you need Jesus. You know that you need forgiveness. Listen, I promise you, I don't want to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. I will not single you out. You know, if you've been here, you know we don't do that here. But I just wanted the privilege of praying with you. And so if you're here right now, you know that you need Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you want to pray to receive Christ. Would you just slip your hand up right where you're at? God bless you. I see you. Who else? God bless you. I see you. God bless you. I see you. Who else? I see you. God bless you. Right there in your seat. Maybe you didn't raise your hand just now. It doesn't matter. Raising your hand just now doesn't save you. Surrendering your life to Christ. Surrendering your sin to God. Trusting Jesus. That's what saves you. So right now, why don't you say a prayer like this? Why don't you pray a prayer? 
And it's not these words, it's not a password, it's not a formula. It's you humbling yourself before your loving God. And simply say this, say, Father God, Lord, I'm a sinner. Lord, I do dirt. Sometimes I do it on purpose. Lord, I sin on accident. Lord, but I turn from my sin. I repent of my sin and I'm turning to Jesus. Save me, Jesus. Tell him, say, Jesus, save me. Wash me clean, Jesus. Tell him, say, Lord, I'm putting my faith in your sacrifice, your death, burial, and resurrection for my salvation. All of me, I surrender to all of you. Save me, Jesus. Save me, Jesus. I'm not just believing in you. I'm trusting on you. Save me, Jesus. I want to encourage you. If you just prayed that prayer, I want to encourage you. Man, that's just amazing. I want to encourage you to come this morning and follow through. The first thing that God asks us to do as believers is to follow through and be baptized. Have you been baptized? Once you come this morning, we'll schedule that for you and pray with you, rejoice with you. Maybe you're here this morning, you prayed that some other time, and you know that you've uh, done business with God, and you still haven't followed through and making it public through baptism. I'd encourage you to do that. Maybe you're here this morning, and one of the things you notice is, is that your salvation and baptism are out of order. The way we always see it in the Bible, we get saved, and then we get baptized. Baptized. Do you need to be baptized this morning? Why don't you come and we'll rejoice with you and celebrate and pray with you. We'll schedule that time for you. Be obedient. Maybe you're here this morning and you recognize that Grace Baptist Church is your church home. That this is where you want to serve. This is where God is calling you. This is your church home. I want to encourage you to come this morning and make it official and be a part of the team. Put on the jersey and be part of the team. To walk in obedience to God if He's calling. And maybe this morning you're a believer and you know that you're saved and the Holy Spirit confirms in your heart. But for some reason, even these things, that you're saved by grace, through faith, for good works, some reason that rings hollow. You find that you don't care as much as you used to. That the things of God just don't excite you like they used to. That your heart feels a little hardened in some way. Why don't you come back to Him now? You can trust Him. He loves you. He accepted you with all your faults when He saved you. And He's not turning His back on you now. During this invitation, why don't you do business with God? But this morning, whatever it is, whatever you need to do during this invitation, I want to encourage you to do it. Have peace with God. Then maybe you can have peace with men. Father God, we surrender this invitation to you. Lord, this is your invitation. I just pray that your people will use it for their good and your glory. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Will you stand with me? Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way.